I'm Gareth Armstrong, and in this Razor's Edge podcast, we listen in on a deep dive discussion between Alon Reyes, CEO of Racecorp, Kumaran Padiachi, CEO of Spartan SME Finance, and Mark Levy, CEO of Digital Planet. I must admit that I really struggled to edit this episode down to the length it currently is because of how packed full of valuable information the hour-long discussion was. So while this is a shortened version of the extended hour-long conversation, that full version can be found on YouTube or racecorp.com. This is the fourth deep dive conversation in the series. Here is Alon to kick us off as we search out insights and answers to the challenge, how to win when the environment sucks. All the entrepreneurs that I was exposed to, whether they actually took a hiding from, from the experience or actually had record years, which a lot of them did, they all came back out of it with a version 1.1 of themselves much stronger. I'm sure you know Nassim Taleb's concept of anti-fragile, right? Right, So anti-fragile is when you are iterating and learning at the same time. If you survive something, that's one thing, then you're resilient. But when you are anti-fragile, you come back stronger from the learning from that and and for me there was this big sense of everyone deliberately wanting to learn and take advantage of of this opportunity but what happened was in march 2020 was that i saw how vulnerable i was and i thought how do i make sure that i'm not vulnerable in 10 years time when not even if when a, a further occurrence happens because if I don't learn from this, then, you know, I'm not anti-fragile, I'm stupid. Well, that comment has helped us set the scene. Even when the environment sucks, winning is definitely possible. Here are a few more comments from Mark and Kamaran containing their own nuanced insights that both reinforce this and build upon it too. You know, that word courage is such an interesting word because I think what happened without question in this particular crisis, and maybe in most crises, is it gives you courage because your alternative is death. And, and there's nothing like staring death in the face to give you courage. There's a lovely Walt Disney quote where he says, you can have whatever you want as long as you've got the courage to ask for it. And I guess if there's one positive that comes out of this, if, if the entrepreneurial fraternity is more courageous, the world's a brighter place. And maybe that's one of the positive things around this. Philosophically, yeah, I always have to bring that up. You know, the world, you know, is a paradox. We, there's duality there, right? Mm-hmm. It's both a joyful, beautiful place and there's pockets of ugliness and that is, that has never changed whatever crisis there is. And moments you may be exposed to one more than the other and that's your projection in terms of how the world is, but it's not the reality. So what we are seeing, we are seeing both those that are doing well, that have opportunity, that are expanding, and those that are struggling and appealing for help. We are unable to help the latter group because our business is more focused on funding people in a growth context because they have to pay back the loan. Whereas if in their total bones situation, distress, they can't pay back the loan. But you see it in the inquiries. We may be only interacting with the with a more positive group, and so that forms our, our worldview, but we... We're definitely mindful that there's two going on. You know, there's uh, some sectors that are rising, there's some that are dying. And there's, let's look at the coal sector as a paradox. You know, banks are withdrawing from it, from ESG and all those kinds of things because of pre- pressure from shareholders. And then Anglo spun out this uh, boil into another listed company for its coal assets. And that thing is shot through the roof. 
because uh, India and China has, okay, that's, I'm giving you an example, it's a public company and all of that, but that's totally counter to how you would uh, think about it. It's asymmetrical, you know, at the moment. And so that's what we also see. The wonderful thing about a, a, an economy is when there's demand, entrepreneurs fill that demand very quickly. And uh, you both see that actually. And for us, it's been interesting because there's demand, but there's also more competition. And so I think that that dynamic is going to be super interesting for all of us in all the businesses we're involved in, that as the ones that are thriving will become more competitive, the ones that are dying will see less competition, and, and managing that dynamic is also really, really interesting. When I listen to Alon, Kumaran, and Mark, I can't help but feel my gaze rising and, at the very least, feel a sense that there are opportunities even in the toughest environments. It's a great feeling and I hope you are feeling something similar too. But the title of this deep dive session is not feeling good when the environment sucks, it is how to win when the environment sucks. So let's start digging further into the how. Clearly, our attitude towards it all has a big part to play in winning. And winning can also mean a number of different things which we need to define for ourselves as well. There are definitely times when I set targets but do not fully define what winning and success look like, smell like, taste like and feel like. And Alana shared in various other podcast series how important it is to be this vivid as we do so. This vivid picture also goes a long way in helping us shape our attitude. Another very close relative to attitude is psychology. I want us to talk about the psychology part because the part about winning is starts with the mind and the heart first, you know. When the first thing happened with COVID, en masse, our anxieties were off the charts. Yeah. yeah. So what happens in that state? You you can't think clearly, you can't be curious, you can't be creative. You have you're deaf, dumb and blind. Yeah. So you can't have perspective. Yeah. Forget the long term. You can't think one meter in front of you, let alone uh, the longer term. So, you know, when the environment is turbulent, it's hard at the time. But the first thing is to have a sense of awareness around that anxiety and whatever we can do. Each, each person will float their boat differently to dial that number down. Then only can perspective come. Then you can think creatively. Then you can be curious. Then you can spot the opportunity. Then you can think longer term. You admitted it, you know, different from almost all of us were in that situation, you know, of uh, high anxiety at the time. So, you know, the, the, the psychological state and the relationship between perspective and the state of our mind and then the things that we need to do to, to win, being creative, like I said, being curious. Yeah. And, and that shift from, I suppose, some sense of panic to being action-orientated yes. has separated many of the great entrepreneurs yes. from guys who haven't made it. The, the, there are restaurants that closed, as you say, many, and businesses. And there are also restaurants that have thrived in this time, moved to dark kitchens, moved to online delivery, moved to catering for homes. There were some entrepreneurs innovated really quickly and have created much better futures for themselves, and some couldn't. That resilience and that ability to adapt often separate the good ones from the rest. Kamara, when you're interviewing, when you're thinking of lending someone a few million rand or more than that, how do you think about that? How do you determine it? With great difficulty and often not yeah. get it right. But we look for the thread in their life. So we look when you're interviewing them, uh, their background, how they started up, their family context, uh, adversities that they went through, whether they talk about it or we elicit that. We do our own research and bring that out. Are they honest about it? 
in a closed kind of room and how they have they MacGyvered. I love that word that we use, you know, like how have they managed to MacGyver around the situation. I'm sure there are people listening to this that have no idea who MacGyver is, <laughs> but they should Google it. I believe there's it. a new, yeah, well, of course, of course. <laughs> Google it. It was one of the best so, series when we were growing yeah, up. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, uh, you know, if we come out of COVID now and we are more confident having survived that, then the more MacGyvering you've done, the more confident. So we are uncertain about the future. Everyone is, right? The world is inherently chaotic. We try to put order into it as, as human beings. But we look to see what past behavior have they dealt with. So if someone hasn't failed or is a virgin, hasn't gone through a big war, that is more scary to us. Mm-hmm. If the picture looks too picture perfect and no adversity, then it's not anti-fragile. You talked about, Alan talked about anti Then it can't take it. The glass will shatter at the first stone that's at it, right? So we probe that part a lot. And, and in our process, even on engaging them, we are a bit interrogative as well sometimes. Not for trying to drum up the anxiety, but we are testing the psychology, isn't it? Because if I said if, the, if they're in adverse situation, anxiety goes up their own psychologies, you may get some that are oversensitive. Remember there was a joke Oh, not joke. There was a thing on on TV years ago. I think it was one of the TV channels. The guys said, "Don't touch me on my studio," and then the the the, the person stormed out of the. So we we often refer to that as a joke. Like the person can't be too sensitive about those things. If they can't withstand some interrogation about their business and themselves, they're not going to survive when a stone hits their glass. So sometimes you know we we push that. That's a bit. super interesting. I mean, Alon, I'm just thinking in your world, you. You don't lend money, but you buy into businesses. Is it the same? I mean, some of what Kamara is saying, does that resonate with your process? Yeah, for me, it's always the jockey. I mean, the horse has to have four legs. But it's always about the jockeys. And I've been in, you know, like everyone who's invested in businesses, you've invested in people and they've turned out to be very disappointing. Uh, and you've invested in great businesses with bad people, but they always land up to be bad decisions. So although you never always get it right, it's all the emphasis is predominantly 80%, 90% around the entrepreneur and their perspective. I mean, it's interesting because naturally this conversation has shifted a little bit to, to the jockey, to the entrepreneur, to the leader, as opposed to the environment. And that makes sense. The because, environment always changes. Because the environment is changing. So we talk about you know how to win an environment that sucks, but... But the truth is that the environment for some people will always suck. And for some people, will, there'll always be opportunity. Kamara, it's interesting you mentioned, you know, Transnet. Um, uh, I, w- I remember uh, a lunch once um, with a very well-known Stellenbosch entrepreneur. He said, you must never talk about bad government. You must talk about a weak competitor. And the <laughs> fact that Transnet can't deliver creates opportunity, right? Yes, the fact yes. that there's load shedding creates opportunities for companies to sell generators or solar power. The fact that there's water issues means water tanks are, are in vogue. And so there's always opportunity. And, and the environment almost from this conversation sounds like it's a lot less important. So if you were thinking of advice for people listening to this, for people who are entrepreneurs and, and small businesses who want to grow, or maybe even people who, who haven't started that journey yet, would one of the things to say, forget about the environment. You, you don't win because of the environment. You almost win in spite of it. What would some, some advice be? Someone comes to you for money, Kumar, and, and is it work on yourself first? Like Psychology gives you perspective on the environment. Then you can play the environment and adapt to it. But the psychology, for me, I mean, it's no accident Elon told you, told you just now when he invests in businesses, it starts with a jockey. Same with us. Because we can't predict what's going to happen in this sector. The other day, okay, we happen to be talking about transit now again, but uh, it was two days ago, they issued a force majeure for Richards Bay 
coal because the fire is there. That port is shut down. We just financed a whole lot of guys for uh, a couple of 10-digit millions for fleets of trucks that are delivering there. But we know it'll be a temporary problem, and we know that they will adapt. The point is the environment is always uh, changing, but how we respond, what was the saying? It's not how you react, it's how you respond to a situation. And uh, Viktor Frankl, it's about we can't control that, that environment. If you ever, ever read that book, that's, an, that's what we're saying. He couldn't control what was happening to him in the Holocaust situation there. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, those things, but he could control what was going on in his mind. That's how he survived that. In essence, that's what I'm saying when we're backing someone. Winners know that a right attitude and mindset are the beginning of it all. However, Mark describes a shift from panic to taking action. Kamaran and his team are worried by someone that hasn't experienced tough times at all and hasn't learned from those tough times. And Alon reminds us that being centered doesn't just happen, but is an intentional state. Here are a few more insights into how we can be more deliberate about maintaining and or developing our psychology. For me, I mean, there's a lot, obviously the psychology is one, but I actually want to bring you in into this uh, environment because early on in those first three months, March, April, May, I remember calling you and having a conversation. I think it was both of you were on, on the call. And you were saying, this is going to be the best news for you. And talking about loss of perspective, in that moment, and the, the vulnerability is, I'm relatively even-minded. But when I got wobbled, I had to actually take deliberate action to get myself centered. centered. And mm. big part of what I say is you, who you curate around you mm. as your environment, as your own friend. Because you. you might not be able to curate the broader environment but you can curate your close environment and that's the news that you listen to because you know you, you can go mad and you can want to immigrate every day just by reading twitter or watching parts of the news but when you're surrounded by positive people and when you in the environments where you see that people are making lots of success lots of money that they're happy that they're living life and you surround yourself with those people then you start feeling that way. And just, I remember you saying that, and like I couldn't see it at the time, but it just was in my head, if Mark is right, you know. Ironically, I say to entrepreneurs, whenever there's a crisis, the question to ask yourself when the environment sucks is, if this was the best thing that happened to me, why would that be? You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that idea of, of networks or mentorship or coaching. I, I think the single... Psychology aside, the single biggest opportunity for entrepreneurs is to spend time building networks of peers and of people who've done it before and learning from them. I see lots of people who want to start putting a huge amount of effort into the business plan, into the strategy, into the pricing, but very little speaking to people who've done it before. Very, very little. Maybe it's around shyness or confidence. Maybe it's around arrogance. You know, they don't know. My, my single piece of advice actually to entrepreneurs is to seek out experts, to, to, to seek out people who've done this before. Not, maybe not in your industry, maybe not in your world, but there is an incredible amount of knowledge that you learn over time. You know, yeah. We're all in our, our, next, our, our third or fourth or fifth chapter. There's gray hair. In, I'm looking around. There's lots of gray hair. And that's a little bit. That's valuable. That's enormously valuable. And I don't think entrepreneurs... In our nature, we wouldn't go on these journeys if we didn't believe in ourselves, yeah. right? You have to have a certain level of self-confidence to yeah. start something. You have to believe it's going to be successful. There's a bit of optimism, 
potentially a little bit of arrogance. There's a little bit of, uh, I can do this. There has to be to start it. But you don't have to learn every single lesson yourself. You really don't. And my experience of entrepreneurs is they don't build their networks. They don't look yeah. for mentors. They don't read enough. They don't listen enough. I suppose we're preaching to the choir because anyone who's listening to this is someone who listens. And you already have an advantage yeah. because of that. I think there's an enormous amount to learn from people who've done it. And I don't see it happening enough. And maybe culturally, we, we've got to build that as well. You know, for me, it is uh, enhancing your curiosity and your creativity, which means what are the things that, that do that? For me, it's a few things. I go into different physical environments. It could be a road trip. It could be an art gallery. It could be different types of things. Yeah. Maybe artisanal spaces, nature spaces, artistic spaces, different from my... So change of context. Physical yeah, physical context. Yeah. Second is the reading yeah. does that. Yeah. And third is the network which you've spoken about. Because I want to right. let go of any legacy thinking, which means that you have to let in fresh, fresh in the systems theory, right? So how do I open the valve and let in fresh to get rid of the moss to kind of... And it, for, me, for me, I do those three different things. Are you, am I, spending time with the best and brightest in your field? Do you have a weekly or bi-weekly time set up with those smarter than you? Are you unconsciously allowing information into your mind that has no real value? Or perhaps you are consciously engaged in conversations that feel relevant, but truth be told, the energy spent there is actually energy wasted. And finally, do you seek out opportunities to change your context, your surroundings, to experience something new, to learn something, but with that underlying intention, deliberate intention, to stimulate creativity and curiosity. Here are a few more considerations as we strive to win when the environment sucks. I, I love that. I, I'd written time to think. Yeah, in a way, what, yeah, it, is, but, it is. But it's a much more intentional time to think. Yes. It's not just, you know, I'll sit at my desk, I'll go for a walk around my suburb. It's actually taking your context into it. I think that's really interesting. The thing I, I know about all of us is we are very good at making ourselves busy. Like very good. We can be busy from, you know, six o'clock in the morning till 10 o'clock at night. There's always an email to reply to. There's always another proposal to send. There's, I think we all suffer from, from not creating time to think. And well, you, I, I have, you know, I have. So if you look at my diary every Monday, over the last two years, I've put in my diary Monday afternoon from 12.30 to 3.30 now, time to think. It says think time in my diary. And I literally, I've got a wall in my office that's all, you know, whiteboard. And sometimes I'll sit there like, you know, and just draw and <laughs> just like stare at it. And I've created that. And every year I try and get another half hour. So every year I say to my PA, when we start off the year, I say, right, move that another half an hour. So it started off as two hours and it went to two and a half and now it's at three hours. And has it been valuable for you? Incredibly yeah. valuable. And I actually look, for, I get excited yeah. about it. I really, really do. I love it. So... I know we don't, but simply blocking it out is a, is a very easy technique to do it because it's a, an appointment with me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what that goes to, and maybe as an overarching kind of meme, is around intentionality. Mm. You know, I think the great entrepreneurs, and I read lots of biographies. I know, Kamara, and you read, you read much more than I do. But the thing about super successful people in whatever field they're in is there's an enormous intentionality about it. They don't, they don't flick it. No one flicks it. It's intentional hard work. And that could mean visiting an art gallery to inspire you or spending time staring at a board but you booked out time. Both of those are very intentional acts. Yeah. 
as a, a creed, entrepreneurs aren't intentional enough. Yeah. They, they don't, they, we don't. We, we like being busy. It yeah. feeds us. It feeds mm -hmm. our anxiety. It goes to psychology. We feel we're being productive. Um, it's not always the best use of our time. And that intentionality that both of you display now, I think, is very, very valuable. That's, that's a good point that we are not enough. Yeah. So what else is on your list? So I had another one which I think goes directly to some experience we've had over the last, uh, over the last 18 months specifically. We have a set of values most businesses do. One of our values is we're all in on partnerships that are win-win. And I think the thing that I've seen with a lot of entrepreneurs is they, they almost have this adversarial relationship with their suppliers. And we've actually tried to change that with, with fantastic results in treating our suppliers as our partners, not as just our suppliers. And and having honest, transparent, open conversations with our suppliers um, has been really actually quite dramatic for us in what it's opened up, both in opportunity, but also in kind of in, in, in shared value and risk taking together. I, I, I think people often see suppliers as compared as 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 I, I wouldn't go maybe necessary evils. Win lose. Win lose, yeah, exactly. As a, enough, yeah, exactly, enough. exactly. Win lose is a great way of saying it. So you know, if I get an extra percent, well, I'm making a bit more money, you're losing money. Actually, when you change that paradigm to be more abundant, which is we can win together, I think the opportunities are enormous. And, and maybe again, a general comment, just around looking at your whole ecosystem, your whole value chain of where you are in the business. Every business has suppliers and every business has customers. Otherwise, they really, well, most businesses uh, have suppliers and everyone has customers. Bring them into the world. Talk to them like partners as opposed to not, it's a win-lose, but actually, why don't we try and make more margin together? How are we going to do that? That's been a very powerful uh, part of our, our, our strategy, actually. And my experience of that is because it's quite rare, our suppliers aren't used to being spoken to as partners. They yes. spoke to as, they spoke to, they're very warmly. Okay, let's fix this together. You can have a, you know, extra terms. You can have a bigger discount. We, how do we grow together? It's been quite dramatic for us. And I think that's something entrepreneurs often miss, that your suppliers are actually part of your success. They're not in spite of your success. Your, your success is often with them, not, not at them. We've spoken about networks. I think the other is just reading. I think if, if you're not reading, uh, and there is so much content around, uh, incredible content around, but if you're not reading, if you're not listening uh, to some of the content in the world, I think you are at a major disadvantage. And again, I just don't see it nearly enough. We, we should, books should be flying off the shelves. If you think of what a book is for, and you can get many for free, but for, for a few hundred rand, you can get it inside someone's head. Joke. Uh, it's 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 an unbelievable thing in the world mm. that a book exists, yeah. and we're not reading. Our reading as a country, we're not reading. I think that is a huge, huge problem. Entrepreneurs so need to read. We need to read biographies absolutely. of other entrepreneurs. Absolutely, is this absolutely. where we go? And this was brought to you by exclusive <laughs> books. <laughs> Gretchen would be delighted with me, Gretchen. Um, um, but but we're not reading enough as a country, and I think that is a a, a huge, huge challenge to us. Here are a few more items that were also put on the table. Alon suggested to think in dollars. Another suggestion was to consider carefully what the future of work will do to both your business and your employees. And even a caution around opportunism was shared. In another Razor's Edge podcast series called Navigating Extreme Change, Alon describes how we need to be strategically opportunistic. If you want to find out more about what he means, Go to raisecorp.com, find the Navigating Extreme Change podcast, and look for episode number two, Building Your Opportunity Matrix. It's definitely a worthwhile listen. Also, if you want to hear the extended insights into these additional items we've just mentioned, a reminder that the full hour-long conversation can be found on YouTube and also racecorp.com. 
Mark's last comment here was about the value of reading. And so to wind down this conversation and end off our time together, here follows what is currently on Alon Kumaran and Mark's bedside tables. These are well-read people. Kumaran, what are you reading at the moment? Nothing at the moment in this week. I know it's sad. I mean, just edit that out. Eh? No, <laughs> I mean, that's not like you at all. Yeah. No, but I didn't want to. Let me just tell you what I've bought that I'm in, in my list to read. Okay. Go to Alon first. Um, I, I bought uh, uh, Reed's um, new book um, on scale. On scale, Masters yeah, of Scale. Masters of Scale. Yeah. I've just bought yeah. that now. I've read Blitzscaling. So Masters of Scale is now literally on my bedside table. So I just bought Michael Dell's book, um, Play Nice and Win. Oh, um, and, and for two reasons, actually. So it's in my industry. Dell's been, you know, one of the most... What's it called? Play Nice But Win. Play Nice But Win. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Listen to that. You better read that, come on. <laughs> and, and also, you know, he really does prove that you can be a decent human being and still be super successful. He's, he's, he's got a wonderful reputation. And, and not everyone does. You know, there are a lot of these guys that are, are seen as, you know, arrogant and, and, and impossible. And Michael Dell's got a reputation for being a good guy. And yet, look what he's built. And uh, that resonates with me. So I'm quite excited. I've just started reading it. Amazing story. Started in his dorm room and built a global business. And yet you sell HP. We won't mention that. <laughs> but the chapter about how, the, not the chapter. Learn from our competitors. The part about how he's got his second wind. Yes. The second chapter. That's the yeah. real game. Yeah. And he, you know, he took the company private, private and all of that. Yeah, it's a wonderful an story. I was reading in Forbes about that. Yeah. It was very great good. story. Great, great entrepreneur. And he took on big leverage, eh? Yeah. He borrowed serious amount of money to do that yeah you know some of the best entrepreneurs bet the farm you know and that's and michael did that i suppose yeah that's that's sometimes what it takes kumarin what's what's no what have you bought? i'm not reading okay. anything all right cool we'll edit that out um we won't edit that out sometimes you don't read for a week yeah <laughs> head over to racecorp.com where you'll find similar conversations and resources and also the opportunity to sign up for notifications to stay updated on when new podcasts are released in addition to this, you can follow RaceCorp on your favorite social media platforms where you'll find other valuable content and updates. This has been a deep dive conversation. My name is Gareth Armstrong and I'll see you in the next episode.